Welcome to episode six of Breaking the Ice. We're your hosts, Elliot Simpson, Io Christensen, and Dr. Jessica Shandian. This week, we're holding a discussion on diplomacy in the Arctic between Canada and Greenland. Today, melting ice and potential new maritime routes are bringing heightened attention and players to the Arctic region on the whole and renewed cooperation within the North American Arctic. Given the fact that Greenland and Canada are a mere 450 kilometers from one another and share an abundance in natural, especially mineral resources, there is much potential to strengthen business and other ties between the two countries. This Arctic 360 discussion will set out to learn more about where we are, where we hope to go, and the opportunities to come for cooperation within the North American Arctic between Canada and Greenland. Today, we are joined by Simeon Mackay, Councillor for Political and Public Affairs at the Embassy of Canada to the Kingdom of Denmark, and Inatech Holm Olsen, Minister of Plenipotentiary and Head of Greenland's Representation at the Danish Embassy in Washington, D.C. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Welcome, everyone. Um, we're quite excited to have you both here uh, for this conversation. This is the second year that we're having our podcast series of Breaking the Ice, and we do it every summer. Uh, we have summer, summer internship program, and so this year we're very excited to have Elliot Simpson from the Monk School. And this year, for the first time, um, we have Io Christensen from Greenland. And for this summer, we have two streams. We have one on innovation in the Arctic, and the other is on Canadian-Greenlandic relations and how to strengthen those. And this is a bit of a pilot because we've in the past always done podcasts, and so now we're going to start doing a few of them webinar style um, and possibly live and going into the future. So I thank you both in a way for uh, being guinea pigs. <laughs> so, um, and, and we really look forward to this. And I just want to bring up one article that Io actually pointed out to me that was published just maybe this past week from two of the main political scientists in, in Greenland. And I think it sets a really nice tone for our conversation today. Um, but it was a discussion on surveys that had been done with, you know, with Greenlanders at wide in, in the Greenlandic population. And again and again, it was reiterated that among, you know, Greenlanders preferred countries that they would like to have um, stronger ties to and strengthen their collaboration, Canada comes at you know, in the front of those. And, and even one particularly discussing large scale projects. And it was, you know, in the sense that, you know, there's a lot of well, large scale projects as a preferred business partner. And, and it was in the sense that there was a lot of Inuit kinship amongst Canada and Greenland. And so I think we have a lot of foundation to build from. And so I think this conversation um, will help advance that. So I'll let them take it off from here. And I think we'll begin with some brief introductions, and so we'll start with you, Simeon. Originally from Toronto, Simeon Mackay is the Councillor for Political and Public Affairs at the Embassy of Canada to the Kingdom of Denmark. Based in Copenhagen, he began his posting in 2017 and is responsible for general relations between Canada and Denmark, Greenland, and the Faroe Islands. From 2011 to 2014, Simeon was posted in Lima as First Secretary at the Embassy of Canada to Peru and Bolivia. He joined the Canadian International Development Agency, former CIDA, in 2006, and has held positions in CIDA and Global Affairs Headquarters working on bilateral issues in the Americas and Europe and in support of the amalgamation of CIDA into the former Department of Foreign Affairs and International Trade. 
He is a graduate of the University of Toronto, Trinity College, and McGill University, where he has received degrees in international relations and political science. Simeon, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And I will introduce Inutokhan Olsen. Uh, he's a minister, uh, plenipotentiary, and head of representation of the Greenlandic representation at the Danish Embassy in Washington, D.C. since 2014. He's also accredited to Canada. Greenland opened its representation in the North American continent in 2014. Ms. Olsen has been a speaker and a panelist at numerous international conferences, universities, and uh, think tanks in Europe, U.S., and Canada on issues uh, pertaining to Greenland and Arctic issues, as well as a, as a contributing author to several books. He has also been involved in negotiation, negotiations and drafting of the chapter on foreign affairs in the Danish Greenlandic Commission on self-government of 2008. He has also served as a member of the Danish Defense Commission of 2008, 2008 representing the government of Greenland. Prior to coming to DC, he has served as the Deputy Minister of the Department of Foreign Affairs of the Government of Greenland from 2004 to 2012. He began his career at the Department of Foreign Affairs in 1996 and was Private Secretary to the Premier from 1997 to 1999. He has been posted at the Danish Foreign Ministry in Copenhagen and was at the Greenland representation in Brussels from 2000 to 2003. He thereafter returned to New to be head of department at of foreign affairs from 2003 to 2004. Mr. Olsen earned a BA in political science from the University of Alaska Fairbanks and has an MA in international affairs from the George Washington University in 1996. Welcome to the discussion. So um, we'll begin with your first question to you, Simeon. How would you characterize the level of diplomatic cooperation between Canada and Greenland historically up until now? Great. Before I jump in, though, just uh, to say thank you to Arctic 360 for hosting this podcast. And I also had no noted that um, the survey and that Canada was at the at the top or, or close to the top in terms of countries that um, Greenlanders want to see more cooperation with. And I think this podcast um, series and the work that you're doing at Arctic 360 is going to help contribute to that very much. So. Congratulations on, on running this and, uh, and thanks for the invitation. Um, to get to your, to, your, to your question, historically, I think relations with Greenland have been good. They've been neighborly and I would say that they're also evolving. Um, evolving, but in a, in a consistent way. Uh, it's important for us as Canadians to remember that Greenland is part of the Kingdom of Denmark, which is a unique constitutional construct that stretches across the North Atlantic from Europe with Denmark on one side, the Faroe Islands, and, and then Greenland. So when we talk about relations with, with Greenland, we're also talking about relations with the Kingdom of Denmark. And uh, throughout the podcast, I'll, I'll use the, the two interchangeably here. Um, and I think it's important for Canadians to understand that because on the one hand, we come from our, our federal state, but the, the Kingdom of Denmark is truly a, a, unique, um, a unique state um, that we, um, we need to better understand. We work and have worked quite well bilaterally with um, the Kingdom of Denmark, Greenland, um, over the years. I would say perhaps over the last few decades, a lot of focus has been in multilateral fora where we manage um, 
shared natural resources, for example, uh, joint fish stocks or marine mammals. The Arctic Council is the premier fora for our, our cooperation and we work quite closely with the Kingdom of Denmark and Greenland, particularly on sustainable development issues in the Arctic. But as things have developed historically, I guess you could say uh, the bilateral relationship I think is, is growing. Um, there's uh, perhaps more in, the, in a formal way, but we know that historically the, the ties between the Inuit who live in present-day Canada and, uh, and, and Greenland stretch back centuries. And, um, and so I wouldn't want to come and say that, oh, the things are getting you know, new or, or changing because really we're building on, on historic ties there. So it's, a, it's deeply rooted in people-to-people -people ties. And I think we, if we look ahead to the future, we're also going to see that it's the people-to-people -people ties that are going to drive that relationship. Thank you, Simeon. The next question is for Inutsa. In uh, 2014, Greenland opened up a diplomatic office in Washington, D.C. to serve diplomatic relations with the U.S. and Canada. Has it, and if so, how has the post served in straightening Greenlandic-Canadian ties? Well, um, first of all, also thank you to Arctic 360 and to Jessica for, for this initiative. Uh, I think it's great, you know, to uh, be given the opportunity to share, you know, um, our views as well as you know uh, knowledge and knowledge sharing in regard to Greenland uh, Canada relations. Um, so, but going back to your question, I mean, I think it's um, important, as Sidian pointed out, to remember that you know Canada Greenland relations are, uh, are long-standing. You know, going way um, before 2014. Uh, you know, we share a lot of them. Um, both ecology, but also in, uh, natural resources when it comes to fisheries um, and in you know marine mammals uh, and as such. So, and we have also long-standing um, relations with Nunavut, for example, uh, that uh, we share with very much, uh, and because we share many similarities. But um, um, as you said, you know, we open up a representation here, and I'm based in Washington D.C. So, to to my best of my abilities, you know, we are uh, working on to uh, improve the relations uh, between Canada and, and Greenland um, uh, in a number of ways. You know, um, I think we want to uh, moving forward, especially with this new government that we have, which is, uh, I mean, they're very much uh, focused on improving trade relations, for example. So, so that's one of the issues I think we can see a much more focus of in, in um, moving forward. But also on, um, I mean, as Simeon said, you know, um, the, we have family relations, you know, between Greenland and, and Canada. Um, that goes back a long way that we want to maintain move, um, in the future and make it easier uh, possibly to uh, for them to um, you know exchange with each other so and we also have some delineation you know um, issues between Greenland and Canada that uh, also are being addressed uh, you know as we speak so um, so, so uh, there's a number of you know different issues uh, being neighbors you know um, that we have been, you know, um, engaged with, but will continue to be engaged with, you know, moving forward. Thank you. The next question is, how often do you engage with Ottawa and who in Ottawa do you communicate with? 
Well, I mean, for, first and foremost, um, you know, um, in, we are in close contact with the Danish embassy um, in Ottawa because uh, uh, we share a lot of the information with them. But um, when it comes to, you know, different federal authorities, it's uh, first and foremost, I mean, the um, global affairs, um, I mean, the foreign ministry in, in, in Ottawa, but also depending on, you know, which issues, if it is fisheries, you know, then it's if, with the fisheries authorities and so on. Um, but I mean, but with, with this pandemic, you know, um, uh, my, my last travel was in, you know, uh, to Canada was in, I think, March of last year, you know, to PTAC, uh, the big mining um, conference in, in Toronto. So I feel like, you know, it's like, um, you know, we have to learn to bike, you know, <laughs> once again, because we, we've been cut off, you know, physically. And diplomacy is very much about, you know, creating um, personal relations and engaging with, you know, um, with your counterparts in, in different parts. So it's, so we have to, you know, start up again, I think, hopefully very soon. Uh, do you have a relationship with any of the territorial governments or indigenous organizations in the north? Yes, as I said, you know, we, we have long-standing um, contacts and relations with Nunavut. So, um, so and even um, here in the last couple of weeks, you know, I, um, we've been engaging in, you know, um, talks. Um, um, I mean, the, the good thing about this is that we can do this through the web, you know, with like, like this webinar. So uh, it's possible to maintain contacts, uh, you know, with the, the territorial government in Nunavut and, you know, different actors there. Do you find it difficult to engage with Canada when there is so much going on in the U.S., specifically in D.C., and particularly between U.S. and Greenland? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, if I if I could split myself, you know, I would be, I would be here in, in Ottawa. Uh, so, but you're correct. I mean, there's a lot of um, going on in the U.S. and always, I think, will be. But uh, I think to our best of my, our abilities, we all... Uh, also uh, maintain regular contacts and try to stay in touch of, of the developments that are going on you know, in Canada and as well as to you know, nourish uh, and maintain our relations with the uh, different authorities in Canada. So then Simeon, uh, basically the same question to you. How, how often does your work take you to Greenland or how often do you work on Greenlandic issues and so forth? So putting COVID-19 in, in a parentheses, um, quite a bit, actually. Um, I'm accredited to not only Denmark, but also Greenland and the Faroe Islands. So uh, we, take the, we take that part of our, our work quite seriously. Here in the political section, um, Arctic issues, which are uh, almost always somehow touching on Greenland, are, um, are a regular part of our, our work here. And it's not just in my section, I would say also in the commercial section and in the consular section too. So the, the Arctic, um, Greenland and the larger kingdom of Denmark, even though we're based here in Copenhagen, um, takes up quite a bit of our time. Maybe just a couple quick, uh, quick anecdotes or examples of that. Prior to, prior to the pandemic, I, I was up uh, regularly, whether it's to assist in the signing of an international treaty, the Central Arctic Ocean Fisheries Agreement, uh, that was signed in Ilulisat, and we represented Canada here from, um, from the embassy. We've had uh, Canadian Navy ships coming alongside in Nuuk on their way up to and back from Operation Nanook. 
Um, we've also had Canadian artists or artists from Canada coming over and participating in, in Arctic culture festivals. So those are the types of things that we're constantly uh, uh, working on, trying to engage um, with Greenlanders and then using those opportunities to also expand our networks in, into Greenland to foster those good relations. And I would say some of it's um, paying off. Uh, just last month, um, Canada's Minister of Foreign Affairs met with the Danish Minister of Foreign Affairs and his Greenlandic counterpart, the new Minister of Foreign Affairs from Greenland, for a fairly concrete and yet wide-ranging discussion on Arctic issues. So those conversations are also happening at a pretty um, high level, and it's the result of, of lots of work out of our embassy, but also our colleagues in Ottawa and Inutech as well. Um, and maybe on that note, Last anecdote is we were actually able to host the Greenlandic foreign minister here at our embassy just a few weeks ago, and Inutech was there. And so I had a pleasure of meeting him, him at that time for the first time, uh, despite uh, our paths or messages and emails crossing over, over the years. Well, I'm glad then that this discussion was able to bring you back together. Um, as you know, I mean, the, the US and Iceland have formal diplomatic posts in Greenland, and I know Russia is interested in opening a consulate among other countries showing interest. Do you think it would be helpful for your work if Canada opened a formal post in Greenland? And do you think that could be a mechanism for strengthening cooperation? It's true that Canada doesn't have a, a, a consulate in Nuuk, but um, if you look at the map, no country is closer to Greenland than Canada. And I think that's that plays to a, a natural advantage that we have, which again, you'll hear me say this many times, it's those people to people ties. And um, it, and it's, it's that, that what drives the relationship. Our, our job here at the embassy is to is to help connect people and build those those ties up. But a lot of them, again, stretch back um, not just economically, uh, but also socially through family ties over a long period of time. So, um, uh, in that sense, the you know we do a lot of that work from here. It's also good to note that in a way the one of the, the goals of the the government of Canada and that we're working closely with Greenland on is to remove some of that that sort of bureaucracy and institutional um, uh, frameworks that have been put in place over time that are actually inhibiting some of those uh, people to people ties in the Arctic and Inutech alluded to it it's, um, the idea of, of mobility so that people can continue to or continue or begin again um, more free movement between Canada and Greenland and that's something that we've committed to, to working on together with Greenland and the Kingdom of Denmark and maybe a, another great example though is the um, the announcement in December 2020 between the Inuit-owned Canadian North, which is a, an airline serving a, a large part of Canada's Arctic, and Air Greenland to establish um, shared routes between Greenland and Canada, both to uh, into Nunavut, but also further south into Ontario. They didn't need a consulate um, or a Government of Canada assistance to do that, and they were very clear that this was to uh, foster economic and cultural ties. Um, and they're, so, so they're doing that um, themselves. So that's a, maybe a long and winding way to say, no, we don't have a consulate, but we also have these uh, unique ties that I think bode well for our future relationship. 
And can I just jump in and um, point out uh, a few things? Um, I mean, with regard to Russia, you know, they, they have an honorary consulate. Um, um, so does actually Canada and a number of other countries in New, you know, um, and these are, you know, usually uh, people involved in, you know, businesses um, um, who uh, represent, you know, the, uh, I mean, for example, the Canadians, for example, uh, should they need any form of assistance? Uh, uh, so, but Canada actually had a consulate in New during World War II together with the US. Uh, so the US just re reopened theirs. Maybe just, it, it's true, I, I guess I failed to mention our long-serving honorary consul in, uh, in Newark, Lars Peter Danielson, who has been there for, for quite some time. Um, and I, but again, it's the, I would say, based on a really interesting connection in his time as director of maintenance for Air Greenland, where Air Greenland was uh, flying and continues to fly um, Canadian produced uh, Dash 8 aircraft. So there was again that, that kind of economic tie um, based on similarities between uh, Canada, the needs and requirements of a, a business operating in, in Greenland. Um, that also coincided with Canadian um, businesses and experience as well. Excellent. Now, um, moving on to the topic of security. So embedded in the narratives and news stories about the Arctic are these discussions about security and changing frames of geopolitics up in, um, up in the region. Um, to you both, just two questions. Do you think that the general tone on Arctic security is hyperbolic or does it capture the situation accurately? And then do you see security issues being a source of motivation for strengthening this cooperation that we're talking about between Greenland and Canada? Um, in the tech, perhaps we'll start with you. I mean, yeah, I mean, we can talk about different forms of security uh, here. I don't know if, if some of them are hyperbolic or not, but um, I mean, uh, I, I've seen, you know, and been part of this uh, kind of uh, uh, the discussions on Arctic security for a number of years. and. I remember clearly, you know, when Russia planted its flag, you know, the press, the media was all over and asking, you know, who owns the Arctic, you know, there's an Arctic race, you know, and that led to actually, you know, the um, five coastal states of the Arctic Ocean uh, to meet in, in Illulisset and to um, uh, adopt the Illulisset Declaration, you know, saying that, you know, um, any unresolved or, um, you know, difficult issues will be resolved diplomatically. You know, and through peaceful means. So, I think all of the Arctic uh, uh, nations are focused on maintaining, you know, the region as a zone of uh, peace and, uh, I mean, and cooperation. And that's what we want to. I mean, we keep keep on focusing on as well. I, I mean, we are aware that there are, you know, um, uh, security issues when it comes to, for example, the Russian military buildup and. Uh, and Chinese economic interest. Uh, but uh, I think these different forms of security are being addressed, but I mean, but there's also form, other forms of security that are, uh, I think, uh, prominent, you know, environmental security, food security. Um, and I mean, you could go on and on, but I think it's important to be aware, you know, of uh, the different forms of security that are that have, have to be addressed uh, in the Arctic, but um, um, but you know, 
before COVID, you know, we, we, we were, I mean, the Arctic was uh, fast becoming part of the globalized you know, economy and globalized world. And I think the globalization also, um, you know, um, I mean, there are a number of issues that we have to deal with moving forward, I think, you know, where, um, with migration, for example, migration patterns that illegal immigrants even, you know, that uh, have to be uh, aware of. Um, as, you know, as I'm sure we're going to get back to this form of uh, globalization uh, very soon. So I think, you know, um, greater greater contacts and uh, dialogue between, you know, Canada and Greenland is also merited there, for example. A nice, a nice segue. Um, we, we launched the Arctic and Northern Policy Framework September 2019, um, co-developed with uh, provincial, territorial and Indigenous uh, partners, as well as um, departments across the Government of Canada. That um, that policy framework has a chapter on, uh, let me get it right, safety, security, and defense. So there, I think you see the, the spectrum of security issues that I think you're alluding to, Elliot. Uh, the, the chapter doesn't shy away from, you know, climate change, altering the, the physical nature of the, the region, uh, the increased geostrategic um, interest in, in the region, but it also goes into issues such as, you know, maritime traffic, um, food security, uh, et cetera. So from the Canadian perspective, it's, uh, it covers, it tries to cover that, that broad spectrum. Um, and then also in that policy, we're, we're pretty clear about uh, wanting to keep the Arctic a place of international cooperation. And in that, um, in, in there we, pointedly say, of course, the Arctic Council is a, the premier forum for that cooperation, but we're also looking to um, improve or increase our bilateral cooperation with key North, North, North American Arctic partners. And so that's the USA and Alaska and the Kingdom of Denmark, Greenland. So um, yes, uh, that's a, a, a long way to say those issues, I think from the Canadian perspective are, are well covered from our side and off, also offer opportunities for increased collaboration with Greenland. Perfect, thank you for, um, thank you for addressing that. It, it does seem like there's new news stories coming out of the Arctic every few weeks in terms of navies and you know, military exercises, but, but I would agree that in terms of the, the common discourse, what you might see in the Globe and Mail or in, or in the news mention of human security issues, such as housing and food security. So thank you for addressing that. We'll come back to that later. Um, I think now Io will ask you questions about mineral resources in the Arctic, which is another very interesting yes. topic. Uh, this question is for both of you. We can start with Inuta. Uh, the question is, both Canada and Greenland have an abundance of uh, mineral resources. Both see the mining industry as critical for econo economic growth, and both are trying to figure out the right balance between mining and protecting the environment. Do you think there is a real opportunity for greater cooperation in this area? Um, Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think in the mining and mineral resources area, uh, there's already, I think, close cooperation between uh, Canada and Greenland and, and, and not necessarily, you know, uh, in um, um, limited to, to governments, but uh, to businesses, from business to business uh, perspective, because if you look at the number of um, exp exploration licenses in Greenland, I mean, in Canada and Australia, 
our, uh, I mean, those are the two you know, biggest nations that are present in Greenland. Uh, so, and uh, as I mentioned, you know, PDAG is an annual um, uh, mineral resources uh, event in, in Toronto uh, that takes place. And we, Greenland sends like a delegation of close to 100 people, you know, uh, uh, each, you know, each year. Um, this one, this year, you know, being an exception, but um, both consist of, you know, from the political establishment, from the government and parliament, as well as a number of businesses, you know, that, um, um, you know, was, that are engaged in, uh, in, in the mining um, business in different ways, you know, logistics and, you know, service industries, as well as um, you know, kind of a hardcore uh, mineral resources uh, companies. So uh, I think that, um, and I mean, Canada is an, <laughs> kind of a global power when it comes to, you know, mineral resources and uh, the, the companies being present in, in Toronto. So, and we very uh, much in touch with those, you know, different companies also from an investment perspective. Yeah, I, well, I, again, I think I can, I can just build on that. Uh, I wouldn't uh, underplay the importance that uh, PDAC has as a, a drawing point for, for Canada. And I think we can see that um, the Greenlanders take that, that uh, conference quite seriously. They invest a lot. And I think that's a really um, good starting point for having these, these conversations and a, a great place for businesses, but also uh, governments um, to, uh, to get to know each other better and, and work more closely. And I think both Canada and Greenland recognize that responsibility and sustainability are at the heart of a competitive mining industry. Um, in a way, I don't know, perhaps our jurisdictions may be trying to compete in terms of uh, attracting that responsible investment. But uh, I think that's something that is also that also brings us together is that shared belief in, in wanting to have um, responsibility and sustainability in our mining sector. Thank you. This question is, uh, is still for both of you. Is there an opportunity to see a regional angle in terms of marketing uh, the region as a global gold standard for sustainable mining? We can start with you, Simeon. Um, yes, uh, I have to say that before this, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but, but I suppose so. Um, maybe let me draw attention to uh, the work of the uh, Canadian Mining Association. They've put together a, uh, a really interesting I guess, process and toolkit called the Towards Sustainable Mining Toolkit. And uh, Inutech, we actually talked about that briefly when your minister was, was here. Um, and that's working or helping local communities, um, uh, you know, environmental actors work directly with mining companies at specific mining sites um, so, that, so that those um, operations are uh, contributing to um, the sustainable development of the of the local population and meeting those ESG standards, if you will. Uh, that that's something that Canada, the Canadian Mining Association has introduced for its members. We've also seen it being adopted in uh, Finland and in Norway. So that's uh, you know I guess you can talk about that larger Arctic 
specific um, uh, area. And so possibly that's a, a toolkit that could be of interest to operators in, in Greenland as well, um, and eventually reach that I guess, global standard, if you will, um, but ideally based on some, some learning from the Canadian Mining Association and its partners. Thank you. Same question goes for you, Inelso. I concur with you know what Simeon said, but also also uh, point out you know we we are different jurisdictions with different uh, processes. You know, um, you know the Canadian uh, Act. You know, you have you know land rights and um, different uh, agreements uh, with the different territorial governments and as well as indigenous peoples, as opposed to you know Greenland, where it's you know. Um, we taken over the responsibility, you know, from Denmark in 2008. Um, so we have to full jurisdiction of that. So I think keeping in mind, you know, um, that there are different processes, but I think we have also learned, you know, uh, from the Canadian experiences about, you know, public hearing processes, you know, and such and, um, and the different standards uh, that uh, Simeon mentioned, uh, but in, yeah, it's important, I think, to you know, uh, to keep in mind the sustainability uh, um, issue in this context uh, because uh, we all want you know sustainable development. Um, so, um, but at the same time, you know, um, it is a, a balance between mining and protecting the environment that uh, is at the core here as well. And how you how you do that, you know, it continues to evolve. I think you know the standards continue to uh, to develop and evolve, and, and thankfully to you know usually a greater standards, you know, moving forward. So um, you know, so I think that's something that we can share, and and we do share. I think, uh, for example, you know, at the PDAC events where you know we have different uh, presenters. Uh, from Canada, for example, um, talk, talk about, you know, what, you know, the, the evolving standards uh, for doing business uh, in the Arctic are, so. Um. Um, just going to jump in one sec, um, maybe question for both of you, and I'm just to dig down a little bit deeper um, in terms of this, you know, this regional play. It was interesting that there was a comment made about, you know, sometimes there's maybe a bit of a, um, a competition, um, um, in terms of trying to uh, develop resources. I think the bigger backdrop about all, um, around all of this though is, is, is critical minerals and, and both Northern Canada and Greenland have a lot of critical minerals and, um, and, and we know that China has pretty much a monopoly right now in the critical mineral industry and the United States and, and Canada have recently signed this critical mineral agreement. And so I'm just wondering if there's something more that possibly could be um, built off of and to maybe possibly strengthen this you know, North American Arctic kind of perspective on um, it, this being a region for um, having critical minerals, but critical mineral development, but at the same time also in the context of having very high environmental standards, um, very high uh, labor standards and these type of things. And then also though a little bit into the Regula regulatory piece, we have the mining project here on the east of Nunavut, uh, very close to Greenland. Um, and that mining project actually has direct implications um, for, for Greenland. And so now there's a conversation going uh, between Greenland and Canada about, um, about its, you know, its socioeconomic impact assessment and, and the role that Greenland plays. And so maybe there, is there a way to kind of make that more seamless, possibly? 
Any yeah. tech go first or? Sure. Yeah, no, it, it's a very good point you make because um, um, when it comes to critical minerals, you know, uh, as everyone I think I'm sure is aware of is that, you know, China uh, dominates that, uh, that market. And we've been saying, you know, because the U.S. is very much aware, you know, of uh, um, the need to be able to have, for example, uh, processes uh, and being able to have its supply chains, you know, secured uh, for these critical minerals. And I think it, it ties together well, you know, the, both the Greenland, Canada, US, as well as, you know, Australia and other um, uh, like-minded countries. And, and I think an increased focus on, you know, the abil ability to uh, be able to uh, both mine but also process these critical minerals uh, um, independently of um, you know China China so um, um, so in that regard you know we've been saying you know I mean because we kinda we want to develop you know different projects uh, mining projects uh, in Greenland and it's usually a first come first serve you know so you know um, if, if you want, you know, to partake in, you know, the, the, uh, and be part of this development, you know, I think, you know, you just can't sit, you know, idle and wait for somebody to act, you know, uh, so we've been saying, you know, you know, um, and we are actually working, you know, uh, we signed an agreement with the US uh, last October, and that also covers, you know, cooperation in Different uh, in the mineral resources area. So the U.S. is engaged, for example, in that scene. But uh, I think you're absolutely right. You know, in in, in that uh, in this um, with the concentration of minerals, I think we can see a picture emerging where we are working together uh, um, in a number of ways, in different ways. Sure. Maybe if I can just take the two questions separately. So one on, on critical minerals, just, uh, I mean, you, you noted um, the recent agreement between Canada and the US, which just underscores Canada's um, position, I guess, as a, uh, how do you want to call it, a, a trusted partner when it comes to securing um, those supply chains of, of critical minerals. Um, and Canadian companies are well, are well positioned to support the sustainable development of those critical minerals um, uh, overall um, and, and, and in Greenland as, as well. So I think, yeah, as Inutech says, there's, there are some interesting possibilities, I think, for greater collaboration between Canada and Greenland in that area. On the, um, uh, on the, the uh, Mary River iron ore mine, um, we're both parties to the, the it's called the ESPU convention, which um, imposes certain obligations on, on both sides. Um, Greenland um, is involved in the environmental impact assessment process. Um, and so those, uh, my understanding is that they're undertaking public consultations right now so, and that that will impact how the, the mine is developed. So I don't know in terms of you know, a more seamless approach. There is an international uh, convention on it. We're following, Canada's following that convention. Um, but who knows, maybe 
smart people at Arctic 360 will, will propose new new ways of, of doing that. But um, I think at this point, it seems to be following the process that is supposed to follow. Uh, this question is for both of you. We can start with Simeon. Do you see there being an opportunity for greater cooperation in addressing environmental concerns, creating maybe a joint standards for Greenland and Canada? Yeah, I, I would go back to the, the towards sustainable mining um, toolkit as a, a first step. That's what I'm most uh, most familiar with at this point. Um, maybe there are other ways of, of doing it at, a, at an international level that I, I'm just not aware of. But the first thing that comes to mind is the towards sustainable mining toolkit. Thank you. What do you think, Inutza? Well, I think, you know, um, as the mentioned earlier, I think we are already feeding off each other in terms of, you know, the inputs and uh, knowledge sharing, uh, for example, at the, uh, you know, PVAC events uh, each year uh, about, um, um, you know, addressing, you know, the status and when it comes to, you know, in, um, doing mining in a more environmental, uh, sustainable way. So, uh, but as, as I already, I think I said earlier as well, you know, we each have our own laws and uh, processes, you know, that we also have to respect, uh, you know, so, uh, but there's nothing uh, um, to hinder us from, you know, engaging with each other and uh, sharing, uh, you know, knowledge about the best standards as well as uh, a number of other issues, you know, so we can do that uh, regardless. To, uh, to move on to the issue of critical infrastructure, so we, we mentioned at the beginning of our conversation uh, the, the people ties and the cultural ties shared between the Canadian North and Greenland. Um, unfortunately, however, another thing that is shared between the two is that they both have significant gaps in critical in infrastructure, critical gaps in infrastructure that perhaps lead to those issues of food security and housing security that we mentioned earlier. Is, considering the fact that this is a shared issue, do you see there being an opportunity for diplomatic cooperation playing a role in helping fill fill that critical infrastructure gap? Perhaps we'll, we'll start with you, Simeon. Yeah, again, that was an interesting question for us to, to, to ponder and think about. And I guess where I landed on that was, if you take that North American Arctic concept there, well, the, the challenges are, are very similar. And of course, the top challenge facing the, the region is climate change. Um, and how that's going to impact the, the lives and well-being of, of the people who live there. Um, and that can be, you know, whether it's food security, transportation, access to essential goods, um, etc. So bear with me, but if you go back to the Government of Canada's Arctic and Northern Policy Framework, um, they talk about that, they identify, or the government identifies key areas that it wants to prioritize investment energy, transportation, and communications infrastructure. The idea being there that those are areas that are going to have, with that investment, will have spill-off effect into the larger economy to the benefit of, of people who live there. And uh, to the extent that, uh, uh, you know, Greenland is, shares those concerns, there, I think there's absolutely a way for us to, to do a bit more exploration. Um, at the same time, I'll go back to that announcement by uh, uh, Canadian North and uh, Air, Air Greenland as something well, not spontaneous, but or it's you know 
it came from the, the community or the community itself, the businesses that, that are up there. And so, um, yes, diplomatically, we can probably do more to explore some of those shared challenges. At the same time, we can see that businesses and, and people living up there are identifying themselves and using the market to solve some of those problems as well. Um, yeah, just to, um, I think, continue uh, what Simeon said about, for example, the um, uh, contacts between Canadian North and Airbnb, for example, you know, we are in the process of building uh, new airports um, and um, which, um, I mean, um, will open up, I think, for more direct uh, routes, um, uh, hopefully also from North America, um, and especially Canada, I think, because I mean, these, you know, um, transportation routes have been in place before, you know, it's kind of, you know, some, some years they're there, other years, you know, they're not, you know, they stop and then they um, commence again, you know, but so I think um, one of the keys is to um, establish a business case for maintaining, I think, continued, you know, transportation routes. But one of the things that, you know, um, um, we've been um, focused on is to, how do we create more East-West relations? You know, this is what we're talking about right now, you know, but because traditionally, historically, you know, it's been very much North-South in everything, you know, uh, being shipping, transportation, I mean, you name it. So it, I think we want to talk and we uh, break those kind of uh, patterns, historic patterns, um, and I think you have to. We are beginning to see it, you know, slowly. I think um, evolving. Uh, I can only speak, you know, for for, um, for Greenland, you know, with uh, for example the shipping routes uh, cooperation with a static shipping company that now we connected, you know, with Canada as well as the U.S. as opposed to, you know. Denmark for centuries, you know, that was the only way, you know, back and forth. So, um, um, and, you know, with the, I think we can feed off each other's maybe infrastructures, you know, uh, I would say. Um, why not look at, you know, um, if, for example, the uh, deep uh, water uh, harbor in New can be a supply, you know, uh, for, um, um, for Nunavut, for example, or Android, uh, you know, and um, I know there's a, a project that's also looking at uh, if, if it is feasible to, for example, is, uh, can take this optic sea cable from Nuke, you know, to, to the other side, because it's already there, you know. So I think there's a number of uh, ways um, that we, we should think, I think, creatively uh, moving forward in how to, um, I think, best utilize the infrastructure that we have up there, because uh, as you know, it, it is, you know, um, lagging in some ways, but, um, but there are, you know, I think solutions uh, that can be explored if they are feasible and possible. possible. So then just as a follow up then, what, what would, for example, um, diplomacy as a whole, it, it, its role in, for example, trying to attract private capital to some of those bigger projects, those key infrastructure projects. Um, and in general, you know, marketing the North American Arctic as a very attractive and I mean, lucrative place to do business. 
Right. Sorry. So what's the the question that North American Arctic as a concept so, to attract investment? Sure. So, I mean, one of the biggest things that businesses consider when they're looking to make an investment is minimizing risk. So how can the diplomatic process um, between Canada and uh, you know, Greenland and Denmark, how can that act to position the Arctic as a um, less risky environment to do business than it might be seen as by the business community today? Sure. Uh, so I think, so one of the, the, the little, it's, it's kind of a little project, but maybe we can use that to, to expand it. One of the projects that Canada and the Kingdom of Denmark supported in the Arctic Council was with the uh, Gwich'in Council in International that looked at how can we help, um, or how can remote uh, communities in the Arctic make the transfer from fossil fuels onto clean energy, right? And so you've got incredible, I mean, that's a, terrible for the environment, um, but also incredible opportunities there in terms of clean technology and, and you know, the green transition. Well, together in a diplomatic uh, process through the Sustainable Development Working Group, in the Arctic Council, we funded that project. And now there's a, a toolkit online, I keep saying toolkit, but this is yet another smaller process that can help those communities find out what works for them to become self-reliant in their energy needs. So that would be one small example. And I, and I think Canada is certainly recognizing that. And I know my understanding is Greenland also puts uh, quite a bit of emphasis on the work of the Sustainable Development Working Group. And then to that end, Minister Garneau, Canada's Minister of Foreign Affairs, just announced last month that Canada will host a new secretariat for the Sustain Sustainable Development Working Group. So, um, that's going to be at the University of Laval in Quebec City. So we're investing diplomatic resources, if you will, into trying to find more of those kinds of solutions that can help communities move um, take the, you know, those, those steps that will make them more autonomous, self-reliant, but are also really interesting opportunities for, for the economy and for infrastructure. In that case, the, the toolkit there, the, the clean technology. Perfect. Um, now in the time, in the few minutes that we have left, I, I just have one more question and then I believe we have one more from IO. So on the whole, if we were to just wrap up our conversation with a bow, what do you see as being some of the driving forces that can best strengthen this relationship between Canada and Greenland? And who, who would need to take the first step in bringing this relationship even closer? Would it be government, business, or, or both? And do any specific sectors or issues stand out that might block that or impede that process? Do you want me to start? Go ahead. Okay, yeah, no, um, I mean, you know, we are neighbors, so, you know, it's only logical for neighbors to have um, a lot of relations with each other and a lot of cooperation. Uh, as I said, you know, at the beginning, there's already uh, um, um, continued discussions and um, on, on a number of issues that have been ongoing for years and will continue to, to be so. And I think um, um, as the Arctic becomes you know, increasingly part of this globalized economy. I mean, uh, I see it as one of the driving forces for uh, for the for the need, you know, to um, to strengthen uh, the relationships, but also to you know to 
um, I mean, just to make it easier for us uh, between for us in, in Greenland as well as in Canada to be able to uh, uh, you know travel uh, to, to each other's countries, um, as well as I mentioned also trade. You know, I think that's one of the issues also that we'll be very much focused on. Uh, but I think as uh, diplomats and governments, we have to be aware that you know our role is to set up frameworks, um, the right frameworks for you know the uh, other actors, you know the business community as well as other actors uh, to, uh, to use. Um, so um, being aware of that, you know who takes the first step is yeah, it's always a, uh, in some ways a question of the chicken and the egg. Uh, um, but uh, I mean, we'd be happy to take to take on the lead. <laughs> I think um, um, as a government. But I mean, business. We already alluded to it. You know, businesses always also plays an important role. Uh, you know, um, being airlines or the mining, you know, industry to to connect with each other, and that will also you know continue regardless of you know when, um, what governments connect me to or not. So. Um, um, do you see any specific sectors or issues? I mean, you know, um, I think, um, you know, for Greenland especially, you know, fisheries is, is our biggest sector and will continue to be so. And, you know, we, I think, continue to have close uh, collaboration with Canadian uh, authorities on that as well. Um, but um, but as I said, I think also other issues will I think continue to emerge um, in the future uh, when it comes to you know um, the effects of a more globalized economy. That uh, yeah, I mean, climate change you know brings its effects you know on uh, for example uh, sea routes you know the open, opening up of the oceans. Uh, also brings its own challenges. So I think I think I already see you know uh, an issue there or a sector that uh, where we have to I think uh, talk to each other much more closely um, moving forward. Um, maybe to just build on that, I think your question makes it too easy. Government, business, or both? Both, obviously. Um, so so thanks. Um, but I think from the, the government side, um, of course, yeah, do, do, you, do you lead or follow? Or, um, I, I think what I have learned in my time here is you have, to, you have to follow the interests. So I can have the most amazing ideas from my little office in, in Copenhagen. But um, if that's not what's interesting to the people who are living there in the Arctic, then, you know, no point. And maybe that seems so obvious, but uh, it's true. Uh, maybe a, a couple, three crunchy um, areas as well that I can offer up from my side, building on Inutech's comment that governments set frameworks. So one is, again, Inutech alluded to this, our, our, uh, we have some boundary disputes. Uh, in 2018, we announced um, Canada and the Kingdom of Denmark, so both the Danish and Greenlandic foreign ministers, along with the Canadian foreign minister, announced a joint task force to resolve those remaining uh, bilateral boundary issues, the infamous Hans Island. Uh, my understanding is that that task force is close to having things resolved. So how can we take, I mean, that's gonna be a, hopefully a good news story. Um, 
how can we build on that? Uh, what will we have learned? And you know, when we don't have jokes to make anymore about trading snaps and whiskey on an island, um, what are we going to talk about next? And how can we leverage that into the next uh, the next opportunity? The second one has been alluded to, which is uh, the mobility of peoples between Greenland and Canada. An announcement was made. Um, by governments to resolve that issue. So that work is, is ongoing and Canada is keen to, to work with the new government in Greenland on this. But we also know that the exchange of people leads to the exchange of ideas. So how do we, how do we use that mobility to, to take things to, to the next level? And similar, similar to that and related is the proposal by the Inuit Circumpolar Commission uh, related to the North Water Polinia, and excuse me if I say it incorrectly, but the Pikiela Sorsawak, mm -hmm. uh, which is an open body of water between Greenland and Canada. It stays open all year round uh, and has been a, a source of sustenance for the peoples living up there for a really long time. There are new ideas of like, how do we, how do we co-manage that resource to the benefit of the people who live there? Again, uh, those are new ideas. Um, how do we take that and, and use it to build up a bigger bilateral uh, relationship, those exchanges of, of people and ideas? So those are three issues that are on the go, I would say, uh, to one extent or another. And I think um, hopefully we can leverage those to, uh, to build the relationship out further over the next 10 years. And maybe I'll just last point, remind your listeners that Again, in Canada's Arctic and Northern policy framework, we say that we want an enhanced bilateral relationship with the Kingdom of Denmark, Greenland. And I think those three examples I just mentioned are, are part and parcel of advancing that relationship. Thank you. Uh, just that there's my last question, and that was, that's wonderful. But I would like to ask the same question for Inuta. And uh, it's the very last question. Uh, where do you see the Canada-Greenland relationship over a 10-year horizon in terms of trade, economic and business cooperation, regional political cooperation? Um, if I had to follow up on uh, what Simeon said, uh, it will be a flourishing, I think, uh, a bilateral um, relationship that we'll have in a 10-year horizon because, you know, um, to, to leverage uh, all these, you know, the res resolving of, of the different issues that we are engaged in. But... Um, uh, I mean, I mean, I'm optimistic about you know the um, uh, future Greenland. Uh, I mean, Greenland and Canada relationship uh, moving forward because I think we are. We, I mean, we do realize that uh, it makes sense, you know, to uh, cooperate um, because you know um, the I mean, the North American Arctic uh, has its own. You know, unique characteristics. So uh, I think it's uh, be way better off. You know, uh, instead of doing it alone, if we if we are able to, I think uh, work together, um, both businesses as well as governments. Um, so um, and to make it easier, uh, you know, as was uh, said, you know, to be able to travel, I think more freely between each other. Thank you. Perfect. Well, that wraps up the yeah. question component. Um, I'll just turn it over to Jessica for some final words. Sure. Um, thank you. Thank you all for this. This has been a really fascinating conversation. 
I, I think I'll just maybe to wrap it all up, pick up on one thing that Inotech said, which is I couldn't, you know, I think is extremely, it couldn't be truer. Um, and whether it's diplomatic, whether it's trade, business, um, you know, at the heart of all of this, things are built um, on personal strong relationships. And those take a long time um, to develop. And, um, but they are, they are the foundation of what everything else is built upon. And so I, I hope that through this new relationship we have with, um, with our Greenlandic students, um, because of the, the, where does that all start? And it starts with the young people and it starts with people to people collaboration. And they're the ones with the best ideas and new ideas because they have their finger on the radar for what's a growing concern um, for the decades to come because they're they're living it and they are the future. And so I feel really um, uh, fortunate and excited that I've had, you know, Io and Elliot to be able to host this conversation today um, between you two, Simeon and, um, and Inotech. And so I hope this is just the beginning of many more um, good conversations to come and new ideas to flourish. So thank you all. Well, thank you. And, you know, uh, my applause also, you know, to involving, involving the Green Attic, uh, I mean, uh, students, because, um, you know, we need to see, I think, much more of that. And uh, we look, I look forward to continued discussions uh, on this issue between uh, um, the evolving uh, relationship between Canada and Greenland. So uh, I look forward to the next one. You'll be there. <laughs> I'll invite you. <laughs> Thank you. And just from my side, uh, couldn't agree more. Um, and what a, a unique opportunity to bring um, students from both sides uh, together and also to just going through the questions to, to learn the perspectives that can kind of see it pulling from, from both sides. So it was really, um, really a pleasure to be here. And I wish Arctic 360 all the best. Thank you.